Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's right. Fucktober is now over. And we are here in November. The best month. The best month? You think this is the best month? November is the best month. Number one, foliage. Okay. Number two, crisp fall air. Yeah. Number three, hot apple cider. Nay, cold apple cider, ice cold apple cider in a mug that's been in the freezer apple cider. Okay. 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 It's the greatest month. And you know what I don't like? What? Thanksgiving erasure. Because okay. all these Halloween people went from Halloween to Christmas. Yeah. And they're skipping the beauty of November. They're going from costume to costume. Yeah. That's Sometimes what this comes you just gotta, to. just gotta enjoy the sweater weather. Okay. Okay. Have a cup of apple cider and chillax. You know why a lot of people usually skip over November? Why? Election season. Don't ruin it. I'm just saying there's elections. There's Ugh. local elections this Ugh. year. Next year will be bigger Ugh. elections. Apple cider donuts. Okay. Apple right. picking. Okay. Pumpkin patches. Welcome to Pearlmania 500. <laughs> we are celebrating the end of Fucktober. We are going back we're to our... celebrating the beginning of November. We're going back to our regularly scheduled November program. November is Thursday coded. November is Thursday. I can't explain it. But November is the Thursday of the calendar. I understand I understand what you mean completely. Yeah. It really does. You know why? It's because it's the edge. We when you think of December, yeah. nobody gets anything done in December. No. Because it's Christmas and the holidays are right around the corner. Yeah. And Thursday and November is like Thursday. We were like, I need to wrap this up. Yeah. Because I'm not doing anything no. next month. Don't send me an email after 3 p.m. and think I'm going to do anything. Don't send me Because it's e- November. <laughs> yeah. Don't send me an email after 3 p.m. on a Thursday in mm. November. No. It's never happening. getting done. No. Never. I'm going to put on the coziest socks. Also, on top of that, Thanksgiving itself is on a Thursday. Always. Which sends us back to work on a Friday. And there's some people like, oh, I don't work on a Friday. You don't have a real job. Okay. If you <laughs> get to just take Fridays off. Mm. When everyone else has to work, those people, those are the people with real jobs. Oh, but I got a degree and that's why I get to work from home. Fuck you. The people (laughs) who have to go into their jobs on Black Friday, especially when they are not even selling things. Oh my God. Let me tell you, as a former person who had to go work in a phone center on Black Friday, Mm. 
Mm. No. No, we're done. Also, welcome to Pearl Mania 500. The, we're here. The husband and wife duo podcast <laughs> where they dump lore all over each other. Sometimes it's lore. Sometimes it's history. Sometimes it's just a fun little chat. Yeah. But today, we're going back to our regular program. We're yep. just going to get a little bit of hot lore that one of us researched. Mm-hmm. Throw it in the face of the other one. Oh. are back again we're back to our regularly scheduled program yep. i feel like that was our longest cold open we've ever done yeah we're just chit-chatting they'll get longer we had a great time last week with his name was dusk oh uh, yeah we played the game out. yeah we're closing i played monster of the week with that him. was very funny uh he built a lot into that game i know uh for those to for the listeners out there don't know that we had to have like an hour-long call where we came up with the characters and like backstory yeah and, and all these we different didn't things know what the monster was going to be so you know we figured it out as we were going yep that it yep. was an evil Philly fanatic, which yeah. was incredible. It was an, it was just an awesome show, and we really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, we've just been having such a great time. We've been doing a lot of back-end work, mm-hmm. building up our episodes. For and family leave. The vault episodes that we're going to have, they're going to cut, start coming out in January. Yep. Uh, I think, do you want do we want to go ahead and start talking about that schedule now, about how I that's going to sure. look? So basically, for the listeners out there, uh, about mid-December, we are going to be taking our break. The baby will should be here. Uh, you know, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Arrival times. All those different things. So as long as all the arrival times are good and everything's good on that side, we are going to be out of commission for at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And then the so we're not going to be doing any episodes end of December. Yeah. But come January, about January seventh, we'll be returning to the air. But those have been pre-recorded episodes. We're going to try to get through January and February and maybe a little bit into March, depending on what we have. We are still going to be recording new intros, but the main body of the episodes have already been recorded. We want to be pretty forthright about that and kind of open to everybody about that. During that time, we are going to be coming up with uh, new things to talk about and to do for the Patreons that are out there, different things to vote on. We are also, during this time, looking at some ways of maybe doing some retooling and some changes for the podcast. Who knows? We don't know. And a lot of that stuff and a lot of those announcements will be made on the Patreon uh, for all the Hey Huns team leaders and even a couple of you feds out there. <laughs> there is just There's just one fed, and it's Listen, so weird. That's the most unnerving part, is just always knowing that there's one fed watching. Yeah, no, it's very true. But with that, mm-hmm. um, we do have quite a few uh, people we want to say uh, hey, huns, to okay, great. this week. That's and awesome. uh, we're going to do all this other fun stuff. So let's go ahead and hit that button. Hey, huns, let's meet our team leaders. All right. So let's go ahead and get these guys pulled up. We got five this week. Let's go. Starting off first, we have Lauren Beetlejuice Twat Waffle. Hey, hun. 
After that, we have Mrs. P talked me into joining my local library. Fuck yeah, let's go. Hell yeah. Oh, you broke the air horn. We were library, so you got a quiet air horn when you're yeah. at the library. After that, we have Post Potato Snork. Hey, Post Potato Snork. Oh, Hang I, on. I forgot to read the underscores. Oh. Post underscore potato there underscore snork underscore. And uh, they're a fed tier, so. Oh, let's go. Let's go. A snork fed. Who knew? A snork fed. After that, we have Alex underscore yells underscore like underscore Gilbert underscore Gottfried. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. 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 I love that. Hang on. And last... now I'm only picturing you as the parrot from Aladdin. <laughs> That's how you picture me mm-hmm. up? I'm Yago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But after that, uh, I just want to say uh, we have one last one and it just went away there. Let's hear it for Casey. Hey, Casey. Is it Ka- Casey or Cassie? Yeah, I might be Cassie. Oh, either way. Hey, hon. There we go. All right. So let me go ahead and mark those five as complete. So thank you guys so much, especially the ones who didn't get the, the shout out last week because we we're doing the special episode. Yeah. It was great to come back and just say uh, thank you to all of you. Uh, other thing we are debating on is whether or not. We're going to have some other changes when it comes to hay hunts and things like that for those okay. tiers. Just want to go ahead and throw that out there. I want right. to just, we just want to just say open we're, book. We're open. We're like pretty open. Library. We're trying to think of a lot of different stuff. I am working currently on Akatar. I've been sitting down and beginning to read that book. He's so full of shit. Well, because I've been reading this book for the Taze <laughs> episode, but I am been sitting down and I've, I have opened the book. Uh huh. I read the first three paragraphs. I read them out loud to I you. I know. It was very fun for they, me. I hated them. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was a very painful experience. It was great. I'm hoping that this week I can sit down and actually uh, really dive into the book and maybe not uh, rip my own eyeballs out. Maybe. Maybe. No promises. Absolutely none. Uh, but seeing as we're now into November and we have now got through our hay hunts, we've gotten through all of our announcements. Mm-hmm. Mrs. P, is there anything else we want to say before we reopen Japan? Wait, what? Japan's closed? Uh, it was, and I'm going to explain all of that to you. Oh, okay. That's what this episode's about. Oh, I didn't know that. It's two hours on Japanese history. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, but I'm going to do it in a way that's kind of like unnerving. Oh, okay. Yeah, where like I'm going to be like one of those weird guys in the early 2000s mm-hmm. who just like starts wearing, remember those like um, those bowling t-shirts? Yeah. But the ones that were like polyester? Yeah. But they had like dragons and random writing on it? Oh, yeah. And then they're like... They like own like Ghost in the Shell on VHS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a big uh, culture shift that happened in the early 90s when China's export started being more available to Americans. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge influx of Asian inspired fashions. And that's when people started getting the Asian tattoos, like the Chinese symbols. And oh, really? a lot of um, big designers got inspired by... Uh, Chinese culture and that's why in the 90s specifically you'll see specific shirts and little shoes and like very specific things that are very culturally Asian East Asian and then um, they just kind of trickle down into everybody's day-to-day life including the bowling shirts oh okay well I'm doing mine about Japan okay well I was just you were asking about those bowling shirts and I know some of the history of the fashion I know and it's amazing (laughs) that's actually pretty incredible that it's all because of uh, Bill Clinton trade policy exactly that's how I ended up looking like a dork in my sophomore uh, yearbook pictures yeah all right and why every girl I knew had like these multicolored slippers that were like a very specific type of slipper we all had they were like netted on the front they're they're called they're just a house shoe but everybody was wearing them all the time and it was hilarious huh all right so with that we are going to take our first commercial break if you are a hey hun you will not have to hear them hey hun teen leads or feds you can always get the free commercial free episodes Mm. uh, from our patreon uh, which you can find at pearlmania500.net 
What's the other website? Uh, Alexisanerd.com, yeah, I believe. I, I don't know if that one, that link still works, but I know Pearlmania500.net does. Okay. Because I finally paid for a website. That's right. We're moving on up. Yeah. We I've, got Pearlmania.net. Yeah. Pearlmania500. Oh, sorry. .net. Because Pearlmania500.com was bought by some asshole who wants us <laughs> to give like $1,000. And I'm like, no. That's never going to It happen. doesn't matter. Nobody, listen, I need to explain to these guys who sit on websites, y'all. I, I need to understand. Most people don't go to the website. Mm-mm. Not anymore. Are no. they under thirty? They don't know what a dot com is or a dot net. They just go to the QR code. Yep. Because all the kids these days are like QR codes on their menus. That's why I learned at Buffalo Wild Wings recently. You went to Buffalo. Oh, I forgot you went to Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. Well, Gross. you know that was part of the thing. We've been recording so many episodes, and having a lot of guest stars come on. They've been coming all the way out to our house, and then sometimes when I'm driving them, if they don't have their own car, I'm driving them all the way back to Philadelphia. And I'm like, do you want to stop? And like, hey, you know, there's a playoff game. Do you want to stop and watch a playoff game? I'm like, all right, well, which bar around here has TVs? Oh, look, a Buffalo Wild Wings. We're in for the worst two-hour experience of our life. It was the longest evening I've ever had mm. while sober at a Buffalo Wild Wings. But I'm not going to hear to talk about that. We're here to talk about Japan. And we'll hear more about that after this break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Pearl Mania, Pearl Mania, Pearl Mania, Pearl Mania. 500. All right, Mrs. P, mm-hmm. uh, what do you know about Japan in the 1500s? The 1500s? Yes. Zero thing. Good. I'm so glad. I'm very <laughs> excited. What do you know about Marco Polo that doesn't involve uh, public pools? Oh, uh,. I think 100% of my knowledge based on Marco Polo is pool related. Okay. So above ground pool related. Okay. So Marco Polo was a, a guy who traveled mm-hmm. and he traveled from, uh, I believe, Italy all the way across to China. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he wrote a story about it. Mm-hmm. And the story was big news. Okay. All over Europe. Sure. Right. So when people read this, now there's some parts of the story that we read that we're like, ah, I think that's kind of made up. That's kind of bullshit. But there's other parts of it that you're like, well, yeah, that's that really was this court or these different places. He really, when Marco Polo's story became uh, famous across Europe, it really started to make Europeans be like, I wonder what's over there. Mm-hmm. And specifically, the two places they talked about a lot were Cathay and Chipangu. Okay. Okay. I want you to guess what those places are. I'm what do you think say, Cathay is? Can you say it one more time for me? Cathay? With a th. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, th- uh, Thailand? No, it's China. 
Oh, okay. And Chipangu. I'm going to say Japan. Hey, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's smart. Yeah, they thought it was called Chipangu. Um, and so when they're reading this story for a while, they were like, this is fucking amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, we need to go there. And around the same time, you have the fall of Constantinople, mm-hmm. which actually breaks up the the Silk Road, the actual land route that people yeah. would take to China. So you start seeing Europeans like Christopher Columbus and others looking for boat routes. Mm-hmm. How can I get there without having to travel through these new empires that are showing up in the way? Yeah. Right. We don't want to pay the taxes on this stuff. Can I just go from boat to boat? Right. Yeah. So Christopher, I would like these spices that I'm not going to use. Yeah. And so some di- some guys figured out how to go around Africa. Some people cut different routes and all this different stuff. Christopher Columbus sat back and he decided that from doing his math and looking at different sources that he had, he estimated a distance of t- 2,400 nautical miles okay. or about 2,800 land miles are from the Canary Islands. Uh, if you've got the Canary Islands, which are in the Atlantic, mm-hmm. if you go west and just keep going west straight, you will hit Japan in about you know, almost 3,000 miles. Okay. All right. Is that right? Uh, no, he was off by about 9,000 miles. Just a bit. Okay. Just the 9,000 miles. Just because a bit. Because the thing is, is Columbus and a lot of the different people back then, when they'd be like, Columbus thought the world was round and, and they thought it was flat. That's bullshit. Um, everybody knew the world was round. They were arguing with each other about the size. Mm. And Columbus also thought, not only that he'd think the world, world, world was round, he thought it had a weird pear shape where it was thinner at the top. Okay. So he was like, yeah, it'll just be easier to get around. It's not, okay. it's not a perfect sphere. Got it. Because uh, he was he's a dumb uh, rapist. Okay, yep. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, anytime, anytime somebody's like, I can't believe what they're doing to Christopher Columbus, just be like, oh, the rapist? And yeah. then watch them be like, huh! Yeah. And, and if they really keep pushing back, you're like, the kid rapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to be clear about that. Um, so the discovery of the new world. Yep. All right. So when they get out there and they find Hispaniola and they discover South America and the Europeans discover North America, all these different things, um, that kept European eyes and those explorers away from Japan during their weakest era. Oh, what's their weakest era? It's called the Sengoku era. Oh, I thought you were being like facetious. No, no, no. This isn't like a Taylor Swift eras thing. Oh, okay. But we are going to talk a lot about eras. Okay, so this um, is the Japanese eras tour? Kind of. Uh, the Sengoku era is known as the Warring States period. Okay. So basically, what you have is at one point there was like a, like a, a okay, central government, mm-hmm. right? And uh, a lot of the nobles and stuff like that lived... We're in the federal government area, right? So they lived like, like that that general region. But those nobles had big properties. Okay. And at the big properties, families lived and took care of the properties. All right. But here's the thing. If you aren't there, right, like how is it yours? You got oh. a dude who's a caretaker, right? He uh-huh. and his family, they've been there for X amount of generations. He's the one who knows all the locals who have muscles who can protect your buildings. Yep, yep. So slowly, those local families became local leaders, mm-hmm. and those local leaders slowly turned into tiny little local warlords. And got those it. are known as daimyos. Okay. Um, so that's just like, that slowly happens. And as that happens, these daimyos in different areas end up fighting each other. Well, and so there still is an emperor, but he doesn't, he doesn't command anywhere near the respect because everyone's fighting over local stuff. 
Okay. All right. So during this time, it's uh, September 1543, the first Westerners appeared in Japan. This mm-hmm. is the first time, September 1543, uh, which we're right around, we're basically in the year of the potato. Oh. <gasps> we're right there okay because this is all like just barely post potato oh my god we're right around that that region um a chinese ship was blown off course and in that ship there were three passengers and they were three portuguese traders okay and they arrive in japan and the traders came off the boat they meet the locals the japanese you know the japanese and the chinese talked regularly and so they did trading back and forth and the japanese actually were much more out so they had there were japanese pirates there was a lot of japanese uh living over in korea and they had like back and forth there mm-hmm. um but these traders had something that the locals didn't have potatoes no oh. uh matchlock firearms oh shit so okay. they showed up well, with guns yep and christianity oh fuck at the same time. No, you can't. Uh, and it was like. keep them separate. If there's one thing we've learned in America is you got to keep uh, honestly, and guns separate. Let me tell you something. I'm going to hit this, but every time I hit this button, I want you guys to think of an American eagle scream. <laughs> that is going to be important later on. But these Portuguese, they show up and they're like, we got guns and we got Jesus. Let's go. So uh, the traders looked around. They mm. noted that the warlords, the local daimyos, really liked these guns. And oh, they were yeah. like, yo, there's a big fucking, there's a big fucking market for these guns. Mm-hmm. Also, they noticed that all these dudes are killing each other. And he's like, none of these dudes are ready. Yeah. They looked around all the Japanese and they're like, they wouldn't, we could roll these dudes. Mm-hmm. And so they also like, they talked a little bit about Christianity. Some people were like, well, that sounds cool. That sounds different. Some people thought that like Jesus was another form of uh, Buddha and all these different things. Um, and then those those uh, Portuguese traders, they left. And then a Jesuit missionary named Francis Xavier, he shows up for a couple years, and he spreads Catholic Christianity Okay, um, for about two years. Uh, the Jesuits preached across Japan for about 45 years. Okay. And they were the only people there. All right. So it's just, it's just Jesuits. And they're just telling everybody, and like the Japanese are starting to convert. And they have like large numbers of conversions to Christianity. The other thing when I was reading about this is they talked about how in Europe, when you're trying to get somebody to convert to Christianity, you'd really put, you'd point out poverty. Yeah. You're like, no, listen, Jesus is great and the saints are great and the Catholicism because we're so humble and po- impoverished. In Japan, that doesn't work. They're no. like, why would I want to worship your poor God? Why is your God poor? So, uh, Francis Xavier would dress up in the finest clothes he could find. He would even make sure that the other people with him, everyone Prosperity was dressed gospel. up. Prosperity 100%. Gospel. That's what he was pushing. <laughs> so um, the Spanish and the Portuguese, though, had an argument about who actually controlled Japan on behalf of Vatican conversions. Uh, because okay. So there's actually a very famous, I, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there is a famous doctrine that happened mm-hmm. where the Catholic Church sat down okay. with the Portuguese All right. and the Spanish. And As said, you, do. you two can't fight. Mm-hmm. You both are work for the Vatican. You both are here to spread Catholicism. And they drew a line on a map and they said everything west of this is Spanish. Okay. Everything east of this is Portuguese. So when you look at South America, that line is Brazil. 
Okay. That's why Brazil speaks Portuguese, but the rest of South America speaks Spanish and Mexico speaks Spanish and those things. And then the same thing goes for the other side of the world. So the Portuguese got like around Africa and then down towards Australia and all that stuff. So there was an argument. The Spanish were like, well, technically speaking, Japan is west of this mm-hmm. line. That should be us. And the, the Portuguese were like, actually, it's east of the line. And then everyone's like, yeah, the world's fucking round, stupids. It went back and forth. Eventually, the, the Vatican settled for the Portuguese, and they said the Portuguese would be in charge of Japan. This is their sphere of influence. Yeah. Um, the a, a lot of daimyos converted to Christianity, so local warlords. A lot of these rich— For the guns. Yes. Actually, 100%. Oh. <laughs> No, they did. And it was really specifically for favorable trade rights with Portuguese traders because if you were Christian, the Portuguese would give you like a little bit. You had like a leg up on getting saltpeter and Mm. you could use saltpeter to make gunpowder. There it is. Uh, Approximately 100,000 converted to Christianity during this period. Damn. Now, this is... Wait, I want to ask you about this multi-level marketing scheme called Christianity. Yeah. Um, So... The Pope in the Vatican tells the Portuguese and the Spanish that they have these different areas that they're allowed to market their their wares in. Yeah. Their guns. Their franchise rights. Their franchise rights. And then, so these Portuguese guys, they do a great job in Japan at this point. They got all the big numbers. What's yeah. the the economics on that? They get a cut of that. What percentage? Well, it's a matter of the it's it's a combination of they get a cut, they get favor in Rome. Okay, and so that way it's you're getting the ref on your side mm-hmm. because a lot of times when the Catholic nations would argue, you would then go to the Pope or the cardinals or bishops, and those would be the guys who'd come in and moderate shit. Got it. So hey, listen. Spanish are over here talking shit. I brought you in 100,000 Japanese converts. Mm. What have the Spanish done for you recently? Oh, they gave you a gold ham, house. Ham. Yeah, ham and a gold house. Um, but yeah, so all those different things would come into it. But it was also the Christianity is a shorthand to build up these trade rights. Yeah. Uh, for between the people. Because again, you're also going to go and be like, I'm. you're a good Christian man. I'm a good Christian man. So we can meet as equal traders because we're both Christians. If you aren't Christian, then I'm allowed to scam you. Oh, I see. So there's like a secondary factor to it that gets added <sighs> in. Okay. Good. Okay. Wouldn't want it to be, you know, normal. Okay. So now here's the part that, uh, now remember I mentioned that they were in the warring states period. Yeah. During most of this. So around the end of the warring states period, you have three successive military leaders who actually unify Japan. Okay. And so they, they bring Japan back to strength. And this becomes a big problem for uh, the Vatican. Oh. Okay. So the first military leader, his name is Oda Nobunaga. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next one is Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Mm-hmm. And the last one is Tokugawa Iyasu. Now, I'm going to say pretty high level on these guys. Mm-hmm. The first one, Oda Nobunaga, uh, he was a brutal military strategist. Oh. Um, his He had a seal, and his seal had a phrase on it. And that phrase was, to unite the realm under military rule. Okay, I don't like that. That's yeah, that was, his whole, that was his whole thing. Uh, I don't like that. He, uh, he often killed uh, captured prisoners. Oh, great. Uh, at one time, he burned uh, 20,000 of them. Oh, Jesus. Alive. Okay, whoa. Uh, at one time. Oh, that's a lot. Okay. He was also super into killing Buddhist monks. 
What? Why? Uh, which is why he liked the Christians. Oh, no. Because he could use the Christians to pacify the Buddhists and to get the Buddhists arguing with the Christians. So then they would leave him the fuck alone because the Buddhists were like, that's a lot of war you're doing. And he just fucking loved killing people. Oh, wow. Like, he loved killing people. I can't stress this dude loves killing people. All right. Um, he's very famous in Japan. He uh, conquers about half of Japan. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the way he's acting. Yeah. During his life, he conquers about half of it. And then uh, he has an incredibly violent death. And then the, he is replaced by uh, Hide, uh, uh, Toyo, sorry, Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Uh, uh, when you say incredibly violent death. It's, uh, it's, he's just, he's stabbed a lot. Oh, like, like in Caesar battle. style? No, no, in battle. Oh. Like it's a, it's a whole battle thing. Um, now this guy, now the one thing to remember in J- in Japan, mm-hmm. the second name is actually the first name. Got it. So okay. Oda Nobunaga, Oda is his clan. Okay. Uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, the, it's a Toyotomi clan. Okay. So Hideyoshi is his first name. So mm. the same way, like when we we're when we we're talking about people, mm. like you know, like Julius Caesar and stuff like that. So it's that kind of way. So Hideyoshi. Uh, was one of Nobunaga's generals, mm-hmm. and he took over, and he was a little bit different than than less murder. A less, he was still murdered a lot. Oh, okay. but he murdered less. Uh, less because he also would throw in like a little bit of a diplomacy and alliance making. Oh, a pizza party every once in a while. Yeah, and so he expands the control from half of Japan to nearly the entire island chain with like occasional flare ups here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also started a thing called the Sword Hunt. As he was uh, getting his his okay, hold power on. in, yep. sword hunt. Now this sounds like something a teenage guy would try to convince me in high school was a fun time. Yeah. So uh, no, it is actually what conservatives are always screaming about. In what way? Second Amendment, baby. He took away everyone's Second Amendment rights. Oh. Specifically, peasants. He basically said no peasants could have swords. Oh. He said one of the big issues that was happening is that. Whenever you had these daimyos flare up, mm-hmm. they always had a peasant army because everyone had swords. Yeah. And so he would, they, you know, a local leader would be like, no, I should be in charge. We're all being taxed too much. Yeah. And they'd be like, everybody get your swords. And they'd get 10,000 dudes together and that's an army. And he was just like, fuck this. No, only very specific people can have swords. Okay, so how did you enforce this? Well, how'd they get all the swords? Uh, basically, he this, the daimyo that were on his side, mm. the samurai and other people, would go around collecting swords. And if you were caught with them, you could face major punishment. The daimyos that were willing to give up their armies in this case sound really dumb. Yes. Okay. But that's what... But again, he's... Rolling them yeah. and also making alliances with them. All right. So their choice is like either this guy's going to fucking kill me mm-hmm. right now. Yep. Or maybe I won't be able to try to overthrow him in 10 years. I guess. So, I mean, a lot of them will have secret stashes of weapons and stuff like that. But Oh, yeah. You got to have secret. But knives. the other thing, though, as well, that would give the daimyos protection is now you don't have to worry about the locals overthrowing you. Oh, there it is. So it's like a dual thing. You know, it's like, OK, I can't I can't now whip up an army out of nowhere to go fight. Hideyoshi, but then again, the locals can't come into my castle and stab mm, me to death. Got right? it. So um, another thing that Hideyoshi did is he froze all of the people in their current classes. Uh, he just said, no, you are you are what you are. Okay, so there's no moving up? There's no upward mobility? There's no available? moving. Okay. You are tied to the land. He Perfect. like supercharged feudalism. Oh. Um, he also 
uh, went around. He standardized measurements. And a big thing he was super into was collective punishment. Oh, no. Uh, so basically, this led to a lot of people uh, becoming, in Japan, becoming more uh, xenophobic. And not to foreigners, just to strangers in general. Oh. Because, like, if a man came running into your village, right, mm -hmm. and was like, I just need help, you know, oh, I was I was traveling and my, my horse fell and broke its leg and then, like, I got hurt. You're like, okay, yeah, we're going to give you some soup. We'll give you a change of clothes. Yeah. Um, and then the law enforcement showed up and you were helping him and that dude did anything. Yeah. They would probably kill you and everybody in the village. Oh. Or if it was just you and not the rest of the village, they might just kill your whole family. Because it was just that idea of like, they basically were holding everyone hostage at the same time. Okay. The other thing. Honestly, the first guy, the murder guy seems more reasonable. He's much point. more straight up. Like Oda Nobunaga is, is much like, more straight up. Just he's like, listen, murdering everybody. This guy is really taking his time, slowly destroying people. He's doing it in a way to build a base of power and to make people more afraid of him. Yeah. Um. He also uh, another big thing that he does is he is the one of the first ones to turn against Christianity. Oh, okay. He's looking around. He sees it, and he goes because um, it's removing power from him. There's that. Mm -hmm. um, he passes an edict of expulsion in 1850, excuse me, 1587. Okay. He says that all the all the Christians got to go. Uh, everyone needs to deconvert and go back to being good Buddhists. Mm -hmm. He passes this as mostly a warning. Um, the Jesuits and Hideyoshi uh, worked out a deal to try to cool off the tensions because the Jesuits at this time had a lot of guns. Okay. So they got rid of their guns. They like basically he de-armed the Jesuits. I'm picturing monks with guns now. Yes. And that is incredible to think well, about. Well, maybe not the monks themselves directly, but they had people with them who were heavily armed. Okay. So imagine a monk surrounded by a hundred dudes with guns and swords and stuff like that for protection. Mm -hmm. Because again, they're traveling at the same time. Talking about the peacefulness of Jesus. Yeah. But yeah. still, you know, on the outskirts, you got a ring of dudes. Okay. And so they had to they had to get rid of a lot of that different stuff. He held siege against some of them. Uh, in 1593, the Franciscan monks showed up. Though. Oh, shit. The Frankies? Yeah. So so the, the Jesuits had been there. Uh -huh. The Franciscans show up. And uh, I, let me tell you. Get your rosary beads ready, baby. So this is the problem. No, what's the problem? It's like Jets and the Sharks. No. The Jesuits and the Franciscans start beating the shit out of each other. And literally sectarian sight. violence starts up. Sight. Local local Japanese people who are converted would also fight with each other because some of them are Franciscan converts who have been mm -hmm. taught one thing and another group are Jesuit converts oh who have been God. taught another. And they're all talking about the same guy. Oh, and I love that the Franciscans are based after a specific ideology about uh, St. Francis. Yeah. The most peaceful dude of them all. Mm -hmm. And they're just street fighting on his name. Now, this Incredible. causes this causes a ton of problems. I bet. A ton. And Hideyoshi, who's at this point, just he really is, is super obsessed with control. Yeah. He looks around and he goes, I've had enough. Um, and so he really steps up on, back on the edict of expulsion. All right. And he uh, just immediately starts crucifying people. He crucifies 26. Oh, wait. Okay. There's 20. It's, they're the 26 martyrs of Japan. Um, they were. I guess I didn't think that anybody else was crucifying people but the Romans. 
Yo, you're about to hear about so much crucifixion. <laughs> what? That's so like crazy. no, like we're we're gonna get some big numbers on this one. Okay. Uh, so they he starts crucifying people. He crucifies 26 martyrs. Nine of them are Europeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people they're known in the Catholic faith as the 26 martyrs of Japan. They were the first people to be martyred in Japan for the Catholic faith, and they would later be canonized as saints by the Pope about 30 years later. Okay. Um, this happens in, I think, 1593, 1594. Hideyoshi dies uh, of illness a year after this. Okay. So when he dies, another guy takes over from him. Okay. Uh, and this is Tokugawa Iyashu. All right. Now, Iyashu took over from Hideyoshi. And when this happened at first, Iyashu was, he, he was a general upper end of this guy's like group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when uh, when Hideyoshi died, he was like, "All right, everybody." You know, how did how did he die? Did you tell me? How he, he just died? said illness. Oh, boo! Uh, so when he died of illness, but on his deathbed, he's like, "Make my make my kid." The oh, coolest. he's his kid. No. Oh. He said, "Make my kid the coolest," and everyone's like, "Yeah, definitely, definitely." Oh no, we're not Iyashu doing was like looking around. He's like, "The fucking baby?" Absolutely not. Dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no way. Okay, yeah, we're going to follow a fucking baby? No, I don't think we're so. We're crucifying people. We don't follow a baby. Oh, no. So, um, Iyashu ends up taking over just the whole enterprise. Got it. Uh, he made his power base because he was looking around of like, where am I going to put my troops? Where am I going to put my village? Where is this going to be my place where I'm running my shit out of? Yeah. And he found this small fishing village called Edo. Edo. Okay. Uh, this would later be known as Tokyo. Oh. So he founds Tokyo. Like, he he finds it as this very small marshy village. He makes people build Edo Castle. He does all this different stuff, and this builds up. Uh, Iyashu takes the title of Shogun. All right. Uh, none of these other guys really took that title in that way. Shogun means military dictator. Okay. So what he's doing at this point, and this, he takes this title in 1603, Um. And what that does is this establishes the Tokugawa shogunate. Yep. And in 1603, this is called the Edo period. All right. Okay. So the Tokugawa shogunate is Iyashu's claim. He is the shogun. He's the military dictator for two years. Okay. He then retires and hands the title to his son, therefore creating a line of succession. All right. But it's like not real retirement. Two years? It's not a real retirement. Okay. He's like, oh, yeah, no, my boy. It's my boy. Listen, all questions go to my boy. Why are you doing that? Don't do it that way. That's how he did it. Oh, he Don, did it. Don Jr. Yeah, he did it one of those type of ways. It's just like does a movie succession. A, does he have a daughter that is actually running the show? No, it did not that because I saw. if you look at if succession he did, or If Trump he did, is, it wasn't written down. <laughs> uh, that don't mean shit. I know. That's what I mean. Because I'm saying every time there's some dumb son that ain't doing shit, there's a daughter who's like incredibly powerful and smart. Yeah. I'm saying. So um, the what you need to know about the Edo period. What is, do I need to know? Is this is like the most famous period of Japan. Okay. So when you picture like when the way people think of like, you know, not I don't want to say ancient Japan, but that's how people do think of it. Like with samurais, when you think of the great wave print. Yeah. That's during the Edo period. Strict class structures. Like that kind of. Did when the you, people get their swords back? No. God damn. Well, the thing is, is samurais have swords. I don't mean shit. I know. I I'm saying the average person doesn't. This average person does. Okay. Um, so now. You better not come for my swords. 
<laughs> Iyashu adds a, even more levels of extreme lockdown to God society. God damn it. He b- tries to basically freeze the world in place. All right. By the way you read it. Um, he viewed change as undesirable. Oh. Change bad. Okay. Because you can't predict change. I don't know anyone like that. If if every day is the same, uh-huh. then tomorrow will be yesterday, Perfect. and yesterday was fine. Uh, sure. Okay, so he's a, like an extreme <laughs> conservative, okay? There's no Jesus other way to put it. Jesus Christ. Um, th- he hated that guy. We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest things that he viewed was mobility being a threat. Oh, like movement. Movement of people. Got it, got it, got it. So um, it's this, his change started at the top. It started with military families. Mm-hmm. And eventually this this freeze on society spreads through all of society. Okay. Okay. In um, 1616, Iyasu dies of illness. Mm-hmm. His son and his other successors for the next like 15 shoguns, they all pursue stability order and orthodoxy over all else okay again this is think of them more like almost like the amish in this idea of like we don't anything new is bad okay got it um so 1616 is when he died meth is good yeah in 1616 the western travelers who had been visiting um they are restricted to two islands all right uh that is uh, an island off of nagasaki and an area off of harado and those are specified. These are Western trade zones. Oh, right. So if you are from Portugal, if you're from any of these places, this is the only place you can go. Uh, shortly after that, travel documents were required okay. for the first time internally. Yeah. You couldn't just walk to the next village. You had to have clearance from someone in the town. Hmm. So you had to go to the sheriff or whoever it was. I don't like where this is going. After that, a curfew system was implemented. All right. So after dark, you needed to be home. And if Mm -hmm. you weren't home, why aren't you home? Yep. After that, most bridges were destroyed. I'm sorry, what? He destroyed most bridges? That escalated so quickly. Yeah, and so the reason for this was um, the Shogun wanted to know when people crossed a bridge. Mm -hmm. So uh, have less bridges... So there's, you know, every bridge. If you want to know who's crossing the bridge and you don't have an easy pass computer system, I have a question. And this is going to take us out of whatever you're planning. But, um, so I didn't realize. I didn't plan this, by the way. No, no, like all your research. (laughs) No, I know, I know. Like whatever you wrote down. Um, So like, I didn't realize that the Portuguese had so much uh, trade with the Japanese. Like, it's just never something I ever thought of. Um, and now I'm wondering, like, is there Portuguese Japanese food and where would I find it? Mm. Because usually whenever you have those type of cultures trading things, that's when fun shit happens. So we'll get into that um, okay. and about how it's not Portuguese. Oh. So uh, there is there is a there is a fusion like that, though. OK, um, but but I'm about to tell you about why that Do you, doesn't I happen. I immediately am into food. I immediately I know. like I understand what you're saying. This is. Terrible. These people are, they're not having bridges. Yeah. But have we considered the cuisine that could come out of this Portuguese situation? <laughs> uh, so, the biggest thing that you need to know. So, I, did, I, did I say they created a secret police? No, you didn't say they created a secret police. You cut police. me off of that because we, we were at uh, Destroyed Bridges. Yeah. He also created a secret police. A Gestapo? Yeah, basically. Mm. They're really looking, you know, a J. Edgar Hoover FBI, if you will. Okay. Uh, but they were running around basically looking into anybody, any anything that smelled like revolution, anything that smelled like anyone that might upset the social order. And then those weren't samurais. They were different? They were, like, samurais are part of, it's, 
it's difficult because it goes around and I don't want to say it wrong. Mm-hmm. There are people who are military. There are people who are samurais. There's the code and all that other stuff, but this isn't about that. Okay. But they are from this period. The okay. samurai class really I becomes didn't know more important. I the secret police were samurais because they're always talking if about you watch how, like, a samurai quiet movie, quiet they move and stuff like that. If you watch a samurai movie, mm-hmm. yes. The way when you're watching it that way, they're all going to be wearing the robes. They're all going to have the same swords. They're all going to have that kind of code to them in a movie. Got it. At this time, though, I didn't go that deep into samurais because I'm talking about the whole country. And this is really high level. Okay, great. Um, so now I know what you're wondering. How do they enforce all this? I wasn't wondering that because I assumed it was like murder and fear. Yeah, execution was very common. There you go, yeah. Uh, especially with public uh, collective punishment of communities. God damn it. Neighborhoods, mm-hmm. extended families, um, whole villages. Uh, yeah. Execution methods right. include no. roasting, burning, crucifying both ways, drawing and quartering with four bulls, and boiling in water and oil. Uh, that was directly from a... Uh, when I started talking about the food... Uh, fusion. This isn't what I meant. Yeah. Um. I have a question. I'm not done. Okay. Beheading was also quite common. Oh, no. uh, but nobles were allowed to do seppuku or harry carry, depending on how you define it. That's when they take the sword and yeah, stab themselves, themselves in the tummy. In, yeah. Yeah, and they pull their own guts out. Well, the nobles were because they still had knives. Yeah. Well, you're given a special if knife you, for that. If you were a poor person, you weren't allowed to have your own knife to do it. Yep. Okay. Um. This is my thought. My question. I I don't obviously I don't know the history of Japan. Did they have the concept of crucifixion before the Catholics got there? Or did they get that from the Catholics and go, bet? It, um, I don't know. Mm. I feel like crucifixion from looking around and seeing it across cultures, yeah. hanging somebody by the arms and legs, because that's really yeah. what it is, is common. Or like, you know, staking someone or tying someone to a tree, mm-hmm. those type of things. Every Every culture did that. Yeah. Now, whether or not it was a T or an mm-hmm. X, a lot of times, that's why it says both ways, crucifying both ways in the description, oh. is upside down versus right side up. I thought up, you meant upside down. But also T versus X. Got it. And then also, are you tying them or are you nailing them? Oh like God. all these different things come get play into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to them persecuting Christians in particular, because the persecution of Christian converts grew with each successive shogun Mm -hmm. it gets worse and worse and worse over time because each shogun is like they're being a bigger fucking problem um they start leaning more and more into the christianity part of things got it Uh, by 1620 in 1623 500 christians were executed by the third shogun um and the edo government soon realized that torturing and crucifying christians worked as a weird feedback loop that created more christians yeah, because they love being martyrs. Yeah, literally. That's no, actually... When you said that the the Pope uh, made them saints, like that's the whole thing about Catholicism is it wants you to martyr yourself. The whole Your your deity, deity is a martyr. So like always playing the victim and being a martyr is part of the whole deal. Yep. And so if you can get killed for your religion, that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, because that that's auto heaven. Auto heaven. It's um, very wild. A Japanese official wrote, quote, in order to imitate Jesus Christ who died crucified between two thieves, the Christians glory in dying such a death and for such a cause. Hence, they are fanatical and pernicious sect, dangerous to the empire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by this point in time, uh, by about 1623. Have they considered not crucifying them and let them start just being uh, TikTok influencers with family vlogs? 
Uh, no, they hadn't invented again. M- Christianity was the MLM at this point. Oh. You don't have MLMs and, and pyramid schemes to work oh, out of Christianity God. yet. Because you could, if you really want to distract them from trying to get themselves killed, yeah. you start a family vlog. Now, remember back in 1593, I said there was 100,000 Christians. Yeah, how many are we at now? Uh, by 1623, there's approximately 750,000 Christians. Better numbers than ever. Three quarters of a million. Yeah. Uh, that's about 10% of the total population of the nation. That's actually shocking. It's it's a it's it's a growing, yeah, rapidly growing minority. Um, by 1623, though, okay, English traders had abandoned Japan. All right, they saw the writing on the wall and they looked around. They were like, <laughs> they're like, this yeah, is, this ain't it. We got. They're like, these are our kind of rules. What are you doing? Yeah, they're like, this. I don't know. We we can't make money here. Like, not there's a lot of risk and not a lot of reward. Yeah. Uh, by 1624, the next year, the Spanish traders had also given up. Okay, so Spain and England's out. The only people who were left at this point are the Portuguese, mm-hmm. the Chinese, and the Dutch are the ones. And there's oh, so on some Korean as well Dutch. are all okay. coming through. All right. Um, in 1633, a rule was passed that uh, only ships with government documents are allowed to dock in Japan and that any Japanese citizens living abroad for five years or more are not allowed to come home. Oh, shit. And if they return home, they'll be executed. So, okay. That's a crazy rule. Why would you do that? Because they'll they'll come home with foreign ideas. Oh, I see. Yeah, this just is just like when a but when a teenager goes away to Europe for a year and they come back thinking they know everything. Yeah. Mhm. I got a nose ring. Um 1634. Okay. Uh, only the Nagasaki port was allowed for foreign trade. At right. this point, and Japanese travel to Southeast Asia and the return of any Japanese from abroad, no matter how long they've been gone, mm-hmm. is now fully prohibited. So any Japanese person who was not in Japan after 1634 was banned from returning to the island. Well, shit. Not even the five year. Um, 1637 is the big pivotal year. Christian farmers rise against the government um, in specifically in an area called Shim- Shimabara. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this revolt that happens for like almost two years is violently, violently suppressed. Oh, the revolt began as a result of dissatisfaction, dissatisf- dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction, hey, dissatisfaction. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Man, I couldn't do it. Basically, people were mad about heavy taxes. Uh, and yeah. local local officials were being dickheads. Yeah, okay. And so people started at this one peninsula and on these certain islands started revolting. Uh, most of the peasants in the vicinity had been Christian converts, though. And so when the government looked around, mm-hmm. they're like, this is all the Christians. And then because the thing all these people had in common, all the poor people had in common, was their Christianity— their revolt started to take Christian overtones. Got it. So it's had a Christian feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you start looking around and you're like, oh, no, this isn't great. So now you have a situation where uh, Ronin, who are samurais without masters, samurai who are military guys and who um, and who and other like military people got together and they got an a army of 100,000 troops and they weren't able to quell the rebellion. All right. 100,000 well-armed, trained troops yep. could not calm down all these Christian poor people. Well. 
And so finally, the Japanese government called on the Dutch, ah, not who the had Dutch. a gunboat, and they said, come in here and blast the rebel stronghold. And that's what they did. And then that quelled, finally quelled yeah. it, is they basically parked a boat and blew, it, blew up this entire stronghold and then went in with the troops. There was a massive, massive amount of killing, huge massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, following this incident, the government vigorously enforced its prescription of all Christian beliefs and activities. And basically, you had one chance. Mm-hmm. They would walk you to the edge of a cliff, and they would put a cross or a picture of Jesus or whatever down, and they'd tell you you have to stomp on them. Oh. And you have to spit on it and all this different stuff, and you have to, you, you know, I'm not Christian. That's what you all had right. to say. And some people would, some people wouldn't. If you did, great, over there. We're always going to have an eye on you. If you didn't, there goes your head, kick you off the cliff. Or crucify you or whatever. Uh, hold on. I'm at the edge of a cliff. Yeah. I'm not doing what you want. Yeah. Why do you need to cut my head off? Just push me off the cliff. Because we also, we want to make it very clear that you're dead. The cliff would kill me. The fall. Maybe. All right. It's just one of those things where it's also like, it's, it's also re- the drama and the theatrics. It's also reinforcing both to the people who are witnessing it and who aren't getting pushed off. Yeah. That we're we're not only just pushing you off a cliff, we are cutting your head off. Mm. It's also forcing the executioner to do through that both methods. Yeah. And it's dehumanizing. It's also, and I was reading about this a little bit, in some cases, it's also training for the executioners because they it, they don't just have one guy who's an executioner. Yeah. These are also soldiers. And soldiers need to get used to their swords going through human bodies because there is a difference between cutting that versus cutting a block of wood. Yeah. You're going to have a different feel to it. So you want to teach them how to separate a head Mm. from a body Yeah, and how to get like that wrist snap and all Ah, that different shit. So that's part of it. Um, In 1639, after after the rebellion, uh, Japan terminated all trade relations with Portugal and only China, Korea, and the Netherlands are allowed to trade at specific ports, specifically Nagasaki. Got it. Um, for the Dutch. The Dutch were allowed to stay for beyond helping with the gunboat. Mm-hmm. But one other very important reason. I mean, I can't think of what it is because the Dutch are like literally the worst. Okay. You really can't think? Is it chocolate? No. <laughs> is it chocolate? I don't know. <laughs> is it chocolate? What are, what are they bringing they to the They never brought a priest. Fuck. The only thing they brought was capitalism. They just brought the <laughs> they capitalism. They only brought capitalism. And they were just like, because they showed up and the Dutch were like, yeah, dude, I'm not fucking doing. We're not trying to convert people. No. We're trying to make money. No, dude, we just want the cash. And so the Dutch were given a free trade zone uh, on a man-made island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's known as Exit Island. Okay. Uh, but it's all in Japanese. It was uh, Dejima. And it's a it's just off the coast of Nagasaki. Today, that island itself no longer exists as its own island. It's actually been like absorbed into Nagasaki mm-hmm. uh, because of like builds up, build up around the bay. Uh, but they've like kind of rebuilt some parts of it. The warehouse shipping area they have is known as a factory. because uh, So it's called the Dutch factory uh, on Dejima. Um the final termination of Japanese trade relations with Portugal is considered the beginning of the Sakako period. Uh, and that is Japanese for closed country. Oh, okay. It's not officially called that. There's a series of edicts that happened during the time. But it's one of those things when people go look back on it. Yeah. That they go, oh, that was the closed country period. Yeah, because you can't even go back if you left. No. 
you're screwed. And there's no bridges, so you can't go anywhere. It's fucking closed, except for the Dutch. Except for the Dutch. God. And that was what you were asking, though, about the fusion? Yeah. Dutch food. Dutch food? That's the fusion? Yeah, well, that's the fusion, because also the Dutch, because of where they're located in Europe, they're also a very... Uh, fish oriented culture yeah salty so fish salty fish and those things kind of yeah. come together and the crossover they there were like, for a very like long salty time fish i like salty fish let's get in there yeah but if you go like so sour uh, cream but also with the dutch like tulips and all that other different mm-hmm. stuff the dutch the for congo the, <laughs> no that was the belgian episode that was the belgians <laughs> the um the dutch are the only european powers allowed to enter japan all right. For 200 years. Shit, dude. They got it on lock. Yeah. They were like, those ones, they don't bring religion. Bet. Mm-hmm. They just bring cash. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And outside information. So one thing that happens a lot is a lot of people think that when Japan was closed like this, they got no information. Mm-mm. But they would get that trickle-down information that people would get. So like Chinese traders... The Dutch, yeah, and maybe some Korean traders and stuff like that. They would get information about other stuff happening in the world, yeah, over time. They were like, "You should see what this Christopher Columbus motherfucker is doing over there." Kind of. Well, they did hear about Americans, and they did hear about the American Revolution, and over time, they're sitting there and they keep hearing about these guys. And during this time, it's really more in the 1700s and getting into the early 1800s. There is still Western contact. Yeah, it just isn't. Um, it wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, ships accidentally, you know, the storm happens and a ship crashes. The soldiers, not soldiers, the sailors have to come uh, to land. Yeah. Well, there's a strict you can't be here policy. Cut off their heads. Oh. There's, they show up in a different area that maybe they doesn't have as heavy government control. Hey, man, we need to get you the fuck out of here as fast as possible. Because they're going to cut your head they're off. They're going to cut your head off. Also, though, real quick, uh, can you denounce Christ? Like they did that a lot. Like you need yeah. to denounce Christ right fucking now. And then you would have occasionally you would have people showing up and being like, hey, we really love to just trade with you. And they'd be like, fuck off. This is Dutch only. And they'd kick them the fuck out. Damn. Um, slowly, the only European language that the Japanese knew, some of them knew Dutch. Yeah. Because, again, that's who they're trading with. And then the Dutch learn Japanese. Okay. And then you have certain members of these Dutch groups that are working there. They write about the Japanese but they write about them in Dutch. So the only people who super get into them have to be speaking Dutch or German, you know, enough of it. So it's like people know about the Japanese, but they don't know about them in the same way. Yeah. They know about the Chinese. Got it. Right. Um, So during this time, the Japanese hear about Americans and it's weird because as I was reading about them, they know, they think of them as red haired Americans. (laughs) Yeah. Like they keep, the red hair, it's like the red haired men from the new world. Yeah. That's how they keep reading about it. because for them, everyone who doesn't have black hair, their yeah. hair looks reddish to yeah. them. It doesn't matter. Blonde, brunette, actually redhead. They're all just kind of Auburn. Yeah. They're a little gingery. So this is kind of where Japan is for the next 200 years. They are stuck in 1640 approximately. Okay. Uh, no growth or change. No, no things moving upwards allowed. The taxation is stuck at the same level, all this different stuff. So even when there's inflation, the taxes are still too high. When Mm. there's deflation, the taxes will go down a bit because, you know, things are worth less, you know, stuff. But like, or worth more. 
But when you get in these situations like this, like there are still problems, but they are heavily suppressed in the society to the point where now when people talk about Japan, about like not making eye contact or talking on the subway or things like that, like that's holdover from the collective punishment that was done by the Tokugawa shogunate all the way back in the 1600s, 1700s, and the 1800s. And it was all because they went through such a horrendous civil war before that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. So now I'm, we're going to take a break. Oh, all right. And when I come back, I'm going to explain to you how Matt Perry is the one who opened up Japan. Matt Perry? Yeah, Matthew Perry. Recently deceased Matthew Perry? No, this guy's been dead a lot longer. It's actually United States Commodore Matthew C. Perry. <laughs> he is... An amazing man. And we're going to talk about how he showed up with a bunch of fucking cannons. And he said, open up this fucking nation. And you're going to be like, that's weird. I'm already thinking that's weird. I know, but we'll be right back. Okie doke. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And we're back. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you all about uh, this Matt Perry guy. I mean, from what you just said a moment ago. Yeah. He showed up to Japan with a bunch of cannons. We're going to get to that. I'm going to start. Uh, I want to tell you a little about his life because okay. the thing is about um, Commodore Matt Matthew Perry mm -hmm. is very famous in Japan. Oh. Matthew Perry and his black ships are like almost at this point, once you get out of the Edo period, this is like almost their foundational myth. Okay. Of him showing up and like how it's received and then how Japan then finally goes out and looks around the, the, the rest of the world. Yeah. And like they're behind everybody. Yeah. And it's shocking to them. Um, so we'll start with his birth. Matthew Perry was the son of a Navy captain. Mm -hmm. He was born on April 10th, 1794 in Rhode Island. I think that's an Aries. I don't, I'm. I might be wrong about that. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I honestly, that's not the part that shocked me. It was actually Rhode Island. That shocked yeah, me. Yeah, Rhode Island. Because we never talk about Rhode Island. Well, why would you? I, did, I don't know what to do there. I um, think we took the, when we took the train that one time, mm -hmm. 
it like there was a moment where it stopped at a station in Rhode Island. And I was like, beautiful. oh, I've been in Rhode Island. It's nice. We're gonna leave. I don't know if it's beautiful. It was nice. I think like it, bays and harbors and stuff, right? Yeah, but I, like I feel like there should be more to a state. Uh, I don't, let's not let's not start slandering Rhode Island. I feel like Rhode Island slanders Rhode Island. Ah. In 1809, okay. uh, Matthew Perry joined the Navy. Well, because his dad says so. Because uh, he's like 14. Oh, my God. And that's God. just what they do back then. Uh, but also, he w- you know, he's, this is part of his family. Everyone in his family joined yeah. the Navy. Um, he joined his first ship that was, in com- that was commanded by his older brother. Oh. And that ship's name, the USS Revenge. If I had to... Work, work for your brother under my bro- with my older brother. Well, but here's the thing: is he's like 14, so like he probably thought his older brother was super cool. And his oh. brother's the commander. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh my god, I got to go hang out with my brother Chuck. I don't know what his brother's name I was. Don't know. Uh, but also, like, I just want to point out the ship's name was the USS Reven- Revenge. Yes, like, that's cool. Name. That's a cool name. That's a cool name. Yeah. Um, he was a veteran of the War of 1812 against the British. Mm-hmm. Uh, he served in the Second Barbary War. Mm-hmm. That was fighting uh, pirates across North Africa okay. in that area of the Mediterranean. So uh, Tunis, Libya, uh, all those different areas. Uh, he so that you know that way he saw stuff in the Mediterranean. He patrolled the waters around Liberia, um, which do you know about Liberia? I mean, not too much about it. It was a U.S. colony mm-hmm. uh, that was formed by the American government to send slaves back to Africa too. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, he also then headed to the Caribbean after mm-hmm. that uh, to fight more pirates and okay. slave traders. Uh, in 1820, Perry was deployed to join American and British patrols to stop the Atlantic African slave trade as part of the blockade of Africa. Hmm. I know you're thinking, you're like, what? This is, this is, I mean, I'm, this is unexpected. Yeah, no, well, so here's the thing, is, and which I didn't realize. Uh, in 1807, uh, Congress passed the act prohibiting the importation of slaves. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, that meant you couldn't bring slaves from outside of Africa to America. Okay. But it, it didn't stop American slavers from taking African slaves to the Caribbean or Brazil. Mm-hmm. It just stopped. And the Americans and the British were like, well, you just can't bring them to British places. And so we teamed up. And also, when that happened, yeah. it didn't like make slavery go away, which some people thought it would. It just meant that slaves in the United States became more expensive yeah. to uh, buy, sell, and trade. Mm-hmm. So that's just, it just created a different market for that. And there also still was an underground market yeah. for imported slaves. But he was part of that off the coast of Liberia and off of West, uh, West Africa over on that side. In 1822, uh, Perry planted the U.S. flag, and he claimed the Florida Keys as an American territory. What I thought we already had that. No, so we uh, we won. We transferred Florida to us oh, to the United States mistake. from the what Spanish. What a fucking mistake! It, the Spanish controlled. Oh, we should uh, let the Spanish have it. The Spanish controlled Florida, and the U.S. and Spain went back and forth, and they finally sa- signed a treaty. Mm-hmm. And Perry went to the Florida Keys, and he planted a flag there. And he was like, "Give me that key lime pie, baby." He also tried to rename a couple bays, and then the names didn't stick. No, but he was like, "This this is U.S. territory," uh, so he did that. Um, he uh, then had multiple commands that kind of mixed around for a few years, including one point he like left the Navy for like a minute, became like a merchant, uh, sale, like merchant marine type of deal, and yeah. then came back. 
eventually, he became the second officer of the New York Navy Yard. Okay. And uh, while he was there, he finally got gained the full rank of captain. So All he'd right. been working his way up this whole time. Yeah. Um, Matthew Perry is considered the father of the Steam Navy. I'm sorry, what? So uh, this is during a time when we're going from boats with big sails. Yeah. Right? Like the Columbus, Portuguese, Explorers. Got stuff. it. And then we're getting steam engines. We're getting steam engines. So you still have those boats yeah. with the big sails, but they also have a big paddle wheel on the side. Mm-hmm. So that way you can keep moving if there isn't wind. Yeah. So that really helps stuff. And he, Perry, is one of the first ones to organize a core of naval engineers. He advocated to Congress and to the entire Navy that we need steam engines and warships. And he oversaw personally the construction of a steam frigate at the New York Navy Yard. Huh. So he is like very important when it comes to the U.S. Navy. In 1840, Perry is promoted to Commodore. And at the time, he is now overseeing the entire New York Navy Yard for about three years. And then he went back to being part of Africa Squadron, overseeing the African blockade. Now, one thing I do want to say about the African blockade in general, uh-huh. uh, they did not try a lot of people. I think they only tried like 30 or 40 captains in total. Mm-hmm. It really was just a PR thing. PR. Uh, yeah. So hear me out. Okay. So this Matthew Perry guy, he is a big part of steam engines getting put in boats yeah and then that creates a very specific type of boat that leads us eventually to build the titanic which will then tragically sink and then years later a bunch of billionaires are going to get into a fucking submarine yeah um and go down to try to see the wreckage of other dead rich people and they're gonna they're gonna implode and um we're all going to find some weird cathartic joy in that. So we can thank Mr. Perry for that? Sure. I'll give it to you. Okay. Because I feel like that's the last time a lot of us felt like joy pretty recently. <laughs> um, 1846. In 1846, the uh, Mexican-American War pops off. Okay. All right. Uh, Perry is brought back to the United States. He leads multiple missions as a commodore of what's called the Home Squadron. All right. So that's really just for things in uh, territorial U.S. waters and for North America. Mm-hmm. So they have different names for all these. The Africa Squadron, the East India Squadron, like all these different ones in different parts. Um, Perry personally leads a thousand-man force in a landing that captures what's now known as Villa Hermosa. Mm-hmm. And that's the capital of the state of Tabasco in Mexico. Oh. So he leads. It's something like... I, it's almost close to 2,000. I want to say it's like 1,700 men. Like they land in boats and they run up the hill and all this different stuff. Uh, in May 1851, mm-hmm. the United States president's name is Millard Fillmore. Yep. Okay. And he's sitting around and he decides that, you know what? It's time that Japan receives some freedom. Oh, God. That's so America of him. Yeah. He's just, well, so one of the problems they keep having is there's a few incidents that happen. All right. Uh, where American traders, whalers, and others happen to have cross paths with Japanese. And then they're like, we're going to cut your head off. Kind of, yeah. Mm. Or they're held prisoner and a few other things like that. So Millard Fillmore is looking around, and he's like, you know what? We should uh, we should call our top Commodore. Okay. And so they call their top Commodore, mm-hmm. Commodore John H. Aulick. Oh, oh. Yeah, okay. not not Matthew Perry. Okay. Uh, but uh, Olick gets into an argument with a Brazilian diplomat, 
and then immediately starts bickering with the captain of his flagship of the squad he's supposed to go to Japan with. Yeah. Uh, and so he's relieved above command. Oh, shit. And they hand the job to Matt Perry. All right, Matt. So uh, Commodore Perry uh, turned down the job immediately. He's like, I don't want to do like, this. He's like, I don't want to do that. Uh, he really wanted to just go back to the Mediterranean because he's like, I am older. And, yeah, uh, I want to retire. I kind of, you know, I don't know if y'all have been to the Mediterranean the... beach, eat some if... olives and fresh fish. Yeah, just float off, float off in North Africa. Oh, <sighs> talk about the dream, right? Yeah. Um, he thought also he looked at he knew the history, and he's like, I'm not gonna be the one to fucking open Japan. Yeah, this has been closed for 200 plus years. Yeah, and people go there have to denounce Christ and then they get their head cut off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. like, this is stupid. Um. So, as I said before, you know, they did land. Other people had land. And these are some of the attempts. Um, They would either be be spotted and expelled. Yep. Or they'd be executed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Americans themselves uh, had five attempts. Uh, Diplomats and whaling companies between 1791 and 1849 attempted to speak to the Japanese, anything, to try different levels. In 1846 and 1849... uh, 1849 in particular, a whaling ship crashed and 15 sailors uh, were held prisoner by the Japanese. Okay. The U.S. Navy went there. They sent a specific Commodore there um, and attempts were made and the they finally had a prisoner exchange. Okay. Uh, but it did not go well. Oh, it no. went terribly. All right. The Commodore thought he was treated like shit. Mm-hmm. The Japanese thought the Commodore was a fool. It right. really was a mistranslation of everything happening. Yeah. Um, And the guy made some, they, there were some pretty major errors that happened. But then the stories that came out of it was some of these sailors, they asked them if they were Christian. And when it was translated down to them, they're like, yeah, no, I'm Christian. And then they didn't know the Japanese had like a hate boner for Christians. Yeah. So they're like, what do you mean I got to step on this thing? So a couple of the guys starved to death. By the time they were finally picked up, they were given so little rations that they looked like skeletons. Like there's all this Ooh, stuff happens. Okay. And so like there's a weirdness there. Yeah. Um, the Japanese at this time, they knew about what's going on in the world. Again, from the whisper down the lane. And the, yeah, the Dutch. And the Dutch and, and everybody else. Uh, this is right around the time of the first um, the first Opium War. Okay. So that's when the British. In China. In China. Okay. Uh, had a big war where they took Hong Kong and some other things. Yeah, and they, they also decided were forcing... they were going to force China to trade with them, whether they liked it or not. Yes. And it's also about... opium. Yes. And it was also the sphere of influences increased and all these different things. So European powers in general are starting to get a little mm, tasty yeah. when it comes to Asia. Ooh, I can carve me up a little sphere of influence over here. Mm-hmm. Let me get a little piece of that action. And so China, thinking that there were this great grand empire, is slowly being gobbled up by other empires. Yeah. And Japan's watching this and like hearing about it and going, that's kind of weird. Um, they also were watching the British East India Company rip up India. Uh-huh. The subcontinent, it's not the British Raj yet. That will come in a few years, but it's getting there. Yeah. It's getting weird. So fierce isolationist forces inside Japan are looking around, and they're like, anyone who touches our fucking country, cut off their fucking head. Honestly, what, like in the perspective of looking around at what England and America and everybody's doing at this point... It's like, yeah. 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 It's like when um 
what's that? There's like the one tribe in the rainforest. Sentinel Island. That, no, it's, it's Sentinel Island is the one actually off the coast of uh, in the Indian Ocean. In the Indian Ocean? Yeah. There's like the one tribe of people that will refuse They'll any- kill anyone who comes on the island. Yeah, and it's like- there's always some fucking missionary that's like, I'm going to go bring them Jesus. And they get shot dead in the water. And every time it happens, every like, what, five years? Yeah. I'm always just like, I'm really on their side. <laughs> like, well, just and- because you know what happens when people bring specific things to places, let alone diseases. Yeah. Well, the big part is the diseases. And I think that one guy recently, I think that was like almost during COVID. Yeah. Like, like he a psychopath. Fucking psycho. But anyway, um, yeah, in this case, though, the Japanese, and there were members of the Japanese government, because I was reading a couple books on this, mm-hmm. who knew, like, this type of thing. Yeah. A big country with new technology that we don't even fucking know about mm-hmm. is going to show up at our doorstep. Yeah. And they can do whatever the fuck they want to us. We yeah. better hope they're nice. Yeah. That was kind of what they kept saying to each other. But again, the government's like, well... As long as today is like yesterday, then tomorrow will be like today, and then everything will be fine. And that was their way of viewing it. Delusion. Complete delusion from the government, and specifically from the military dictatorship, which is now, at this point, is the shogun is completely more powerful than the emperor. The emperor has no power whatsoever. Literally, the the only thing the emperor could do at this time is pray. He could declare a day of prayer. So he's Queen Elizabeth. 100%. Just a figurehead. Yeah. So... Um, let's go back to America. Okay, let's go back to America. Uh, Commodore Perry is finally convinced mm-hmm. he he needs to lead this Japanese mission. Do we know how he was convinced? Was it, it doesn't say. Money? It doesn't say particular. I think it's just like glory in general mm. and just people talking out to him. The other thing you need to know about Perry, um, it's because they don't really bring it up often. Okay, huge drunk. Oh, like fucking insane drunk. There we go. And there was a few things I read. Also, this dude. Weirdly, mm. and this is just about things coming together. Mm-hmm. He also knew how to translate Dutch, ah, and like he loved to read Dutch books. What about like Dutch sailors and all this other stuff? Okay. Because again, he's a he's a sailor, so mm-hmm. like he'd read about all these different guys, and so he goes about to learn everything he can about Japan. And hey, guess what? It's all in Dutch. Hey, I love translating things out of Dutch. All right, okay. So he does this. He also consults with a uh, German Dutch scientist who lived in Japan at the Dutch factory for eight years. Okay. Uh, this guy's name was... I'm picturing the Dutch factory like a cheesecake factory. I want you to know I that. know, and I hate calling it the factory, but that's really what the... It's really a warehouse. It's it's just like a series of... I want to think... I think it was like 47 eight or 12. slices of cheesecake later, you know? Yeah. It's basically... Yeah, it's basically <laughs> just a cheesecake factory. He consults with Philip Franz von Siebold. Okay, cool name. Uh, that He's like a botanist, doctor... He he would lived he lived in Japan for about eight years. He had a Japanese wife, uh, even had a Japanese daughter. Mm-hmm. His daughter actually became one of the first trained uh, women to be to become a trained medical doctor in Japan. Oh, cool! Um, he tells Perry all about like Japan and Japanese culture and what he can explain. You know, Perry also talks to guys who this is the term at the time of a sinologist. Uh, so China, okay is often called Sino. So you have like the Sino-Russo split from when like the Soviet Union, Sino-Soviet split when they, Mm, it's mm -hmm. just another word for the, it's like a guy's super into stuff that's Chinese. Got it. So they study China. They call them Sinologists. So you have all these different things that come together. Um, Perry also looked at the prior missions that happened and he made a decision. He goes, listen, I need full 
and discretionary powers in my negotiations with the Japanese, including use of force. Okay. And everyone was like, fuck you, you crazy drunk. What are you fucking talking about? He's like, listen. I disagree because they he was said, as soon as he said that, whether they liked it or not, in the background, a flag started waving. An American a bald eagle, just the lightest little call, just like, just like, just in the background. And he was like, I want to use whatever force I want. And they're like, that's crazy. You could never. But the, the background just starts. Yeah. Um, he went back and forth and he made these demands directly to the Secretary of State, Daniel Webster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Daniel Webster is actually a kind of interesting character who is in and out of government for like years. Like he goes from like the House representatives to being a Secretary of State, like in cabinets, back to the Senate, all this different stuff. By the way, this is all happening during the Missouri Compromise. And like America is about to kill each other yeah. over slavery. And people are literally dying in the streets because we can't even agree that we are one nation. Yeah. But we're like, we need to open Japan up. <laughs> like, yeah. Daniel Webster. They need to experience this freedom. Yeah. Daniel Webster goes back and forth, and finally he gives in to Perry's demands, and he signs the orders, giving full and discretionary powers Boom. in his negotiations, and includes any move on use of force. The eagle flies by. Whatever Perry does, not only does he have the full blessing of the United States government, mm-hmm. he is the United States Let's government. fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> I just pictured, remember that picture, the little video of the bald eagle where somebody drew little arms on it? It's like throwing guns and Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I pictured. Basically. (laughs) Um, An important thing to note about uh, Secretary of State Daniel Webster, Mm -hmm. uh, shortly after signing these orders, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Oh, he was all, oh, they were drinking buddies. Yeah, he drank a lot. He was an alcoholic. They were, Um, well, I'll sign it for you, buddy. His last words, by the way. Ooh. You want to know Daniel Webster's last words? uh, Were, I still live. Bro, wrong. (laughs) Bro, wrong. Bro. Uh yeah, no. Nope. I wish I still you had got that so wrong. I wish I still had the sad trombone oh, queued bah, up for that bah, one. Bah, 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 I still live. Not it's up there with like Jefferson survives when it came to John Adams, but like Jefferson had died the day before. Yeah, but it t- time you know stories took a while to get there. Um, Perry uh got together the boats that he wanted. Uh, and he refused to bring any official United States diplomats with him because he was like, I'm not. <laughs> no, absolutely he's like, not. you guys have failed this you too many are, times. They're like finance bros. Yeah. Ugh, no. On November 24th, 1852, mm-hmm. uh, Commodore Perry and the East India Squadron uh, took sail from Vir- Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, the steamships had black hulls. And in Japan, especially, they're often referred to as Commodore Perry's black ships. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is to keep in mind is most foreign ships, especially in Japan, were viewed that way because of the tar that was used, uh, the paint as well, and the type of wood compared to Japanese ships in the harbors at that time. Yeah. Uh, So you'll hear a lot, especially if you're watching anime or you're reading books, you'll hear a reference sometimes to black ships or Commodore Perry's black ships. That's Mm. where this comes from. The flagship of the squadron when it took off was the Mississippi. Um, there were several Japanese castaways that were also taken on as unofficial interpreters. So these oh, were, okay. yeah, so these were people that had both crash landed in Japan who had learned some Japanese and some Japanese people themselves um, who weren't allowed back in. Who weren't allowed back in. Uh, Perry switched his flagship from the Mississippi to the Susquehanna as he approached Japan. Okay, uh, he spends May of 1853. Threatening small islands that are between Japan and Taiwan. <laughs> okay. Um, so one thing about when you're looking at the the Japanese archipelago and like that strip of islands. Yeah. There's the big part we think of. Yeah. There's also all these little tiny islands. Yeah. In World War II, that's part of the island hopping campaign of us moving up. 
But uh, this was like, the, it's called the Ryoku Islands. They had their own king. That king then swore fealty to the emperor. Mm-hmm. But the emperor was controlled by the Tokugawa shogunate. Perry knew all of this from who he had talked to. Yep. So he went there. And one of the things he kept doing was he kept being like, fuck you. I want a coal station. And they're like, what? Because for steamships, you need a station where you can store coal. Yeah. And then you could use that coal. It's like a it's like a refueling station. Yeah. He was like, this is what I want. I need it here or else we can't do shit. And they're like, well, I don't know about that. He's like, you're going to give it to me. You're going to do exactly what I say. And they're like, well, why don't you? And he's just like, load a cannon. And they're like, okay. Like, he just kept doing that. He's like, I'm fucking crazy. <sighs> he also refused to speak to any low-level uh, officials that were official Japanese Tokugawa shogunate members. Okay. He's not talking to those guys. Fuck them. Because they're not worthy of his rank. Oh, shit, dude. Because, again, that was a I problem. Was just being a smart ass. The prior guys had is they would be nice to these low-level guys. He's like, no, fuck you. I only want to talk to the emperor. Yeah. He's like, and when he got to these islands, he's like, I'll only talk to the king. He's carrying his way across. Basically, he's going straight to the manager. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, in on July uh, 8th, 1853, okay. Perry's ship reached the entrance to Edo Bay, mm-hmm. which is Tokyo Bay, uh, and he rolled right up, right up, up to Edo. Let's go. Uh, there is a line of Japanese boats, patrol boats that come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just sails right past them. Doesn't stop. Uh, he parks his he parks his ships. He has uh, three or four ships with him. Yeah, they all park and drop anchor. Okay, and then he adds them uh, aim his cannons mm-hmm. at one of a small village. Yep, and he has them all seventy three cannons fire blank shot at the town. Okay, just to show that he can do it. This is like going into prison. He literally energy. Yeah, he literally does that. He rolls in. He fires every cannon, and then he sits there for a day. Refusing Fuck, to dude. speak to anyone. Fuck. Yeah. This is this is hard shit. This, this is, is badass shit. This is crazy I don't, shit. Like I don't I don't co-sign this, but I'm telling you, roll past security. They he rolled past security, dropped the anchors. Yeah. And was like, bet. Here's a part he didn't know though. What? He crossed an invisible line. All right. That the Japanese believed that there was an underground sandbar. That no heavier boat like this could pass. Oh, but there wasn't. Yeah, the, but the, it was also part of like the sacred, you know, the the power of the emperor or the shogun or whatever oh. will keep any foreign invaders out of this. He just rolled right in. Yeah, and was just like, "What, bitch?" Oh and God. parked, and then he gave he. So later, when they were like, "Why did you do that?" He was like, Fourth of July." He's like, I'm just celebrating American independence. It's just doing some America shit. And they're like, dude, it's July 8th. <laughs> you can't say it's 4th of July. Yes, you it can. It was four days later. You can do whatever you want. So, um, so I was reading a little bit from the Japanese side of things about this. Is Again, mm. there were certain people in the Japanese government who knew, had a feeling this eventually was going to happen. Yeah. This is totally going to happen. But they weren't ready for an American they didn't who think is it was just American. who's completely insane because they really... they've been dealing with Russians a lot because the Russians are now on the on the on the Pacific. Yeah, they've gone all the way east. The now English with are Siberia. wilding out in India. The English and the French are kind of showing up every now and then. So all of these things keep happening. Just a drunk American with cannons. So Perry gives orders because they're surrounded by Japanese guard boats, and he tells his men, "If anyone tries to step foot on our boat, mm-hmm. repel them." With force. Okay. Beat the shit out of him. Right. I don't care. And then Perry refuses. 
refuses to leave his own cabin. Okay. He just stays in his cabin, probably just drinking, drinking. Yep. And, and and just translating things from Dutch, because mm-hmm. this just seems to be what this man does. Yeah. Um, the next day, July 9th, a mid-level Japanese officials and interpreters attempt to row out and meet with Perry. They Not try good. to row up. Um, he refuses them. After some negotiation back and forth, the mid-level Japanese officials were permitted to board, um, and they held up a sign that and uh, the edict that said yeah. no foreign ships were allowed in Japanese ports. Okay. Perry didn't come out. He refused. He had the captain of the ship go yeah. to them, and the captain said to the mid-level officials, um, Commodore Perry carries a letter from the President of the United States, and he will only speak to the Emperor of Japan. And they're like, what the fuck is a president of the United States? (laughs) So he was like, only, listen, it needs to be. So this goes like back and forth. The next day, uh, Japanese, Japanese row out. Maybe it was the same day as the first one. They row out with a big sign in French that just says like, go away. (laughs) It's like, because like, they all speak the same, right? Yeah. The other thing too was like when the Japanese are looking at like their language and like the writing, like. English looks crazy to them. Yeah. Like uh, Roman Roman lettering, like the, yeah. our, our type of lettering, looks so insane. And then the, the Americans are looking at the Japanese like, what the fuck is this? So, like, nobody's understanding anything. Yeah. And then it's all having to do whisper down the lane because the Japanese are saying something. A Japanese guy will say something to an interpreter who then translates to Dutch, who then goes from Dutch back to English, and then we're back and forth and forth. Yeah. So everything's taking for fucking ever. The next day, uh, this is the 10th, Another mid-level official who is now pretending to be a higher-level official. Oh, incredible. Shows up. He's like, I'm a high-level official. And they're like, okay. That's and not what your uh, Subaru told me in your pleated khaki, sir. <laughs> yeah, so he shows up. I know middle management when I see well, no, it. He puts on a whole costume. He puts on a whole higher-level costume. He yeah. does the whole thing. Because, again, at this point, the Japanese don't know what to do. And it, chaos is happening throughout the town. But the shogunate is making sure that you could not tell that from the bay Mm. they only care at this point about holding up to make sure the americans don't know that just beyond the docks it's fucking bedlam yeah but at dock level everyone's just fine they're just still they're still just packing rice sacks and fishing but like they're running out of fish okay because the fishermen won't can't go past them yeah there's fucking warships there and everyone's like he showed up and shot at us. <laughs> He's just sitting there. He's just sitting there. He's just watching menacingly. MTV Cribs in yeah. his room. Um, so this guy who shows up and he's like, I'm a mid-level. Uh, I'm a mid-level. You know, I'm a higher level guy. Uh, but just so you know, we can't, we can't even talk about anything until you go to Nagasaki. Because that's where all the foreigners go. Okay, go to the Dutch factory and we'll talk to you there. And the captain told this guy mm-hmm. that unless uh, a suitable official showed up, uh, that Commodore Perry will land troops and march on Edo and deliver the letter in person to the emperor. Okay. And like legit, like they're all standing there like in their uniforms. Like we will march on your capital. Yeah. Unless the right fucking person shows up. So the Japanese uh, then like, they like freak out and they go, we need, um, we need, we need three days yeah. to like discuss this. So they leave and they take their time. Um, meanwhile, Perry, during this three-day piece, Perry's like, we're not intimidating enough. Oh, my God. So he sends out boats from his boats. 
And he's like, just go um, go survey the area in like your longboats and your rowboats. So they go out and they just start drawing maps of Tokyo Bay. Oh, my God. And he told the guys, he's like, if anyone, if any of the Japanese guard boats try to um, uh, try to mess with you, yeah. he's like, fuck them up. Do whatever you want. Oh, no. He also had his men present the Japanese officials with a white flag and a letter. Okay. And inside the letter, which was written in Dutch, uh, it told the Japanese that if they chose combat, the Americans would vanquish them. Okay. And that when they were ready to quit, wave this white flag because we know you don't have those in your culture. Oh, my God. That's... So fucking intense. It's so insane. He gave them the flags. To quit. Because he was like, you're going to need this. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. You know what it is? It's that Key and Peel speech. When your family is standing around your bed <laughs> as they remove the feeding tube. <laughs> <laughs> is that crazy? It's, crazy? it's so crazy. It's crazy. It's like, you know what? It's not even boy crazy. That's girl crazy. As someone who went to an all-girls high school, that's the kind of shit that, like, a girl would do to you in high school. Like, girl, let me give you this white flag because you're going to need it. And you're like, what? Bitch, it's also one of those things that's so fucking nuts. And and the thing is, is, like, it went back and forth. That also means that when he was still in America, he packed a bunch of little white flags. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, let me, all right, we got well, we got food, we got water, we got oranges so we don't get scurvy. Don't forget them little white flags. I'm going to give them motherfuckers some white flags. I'm going to tell them what's up. <laughs> I'm going to teach them how to surrender. That's crazy. My name is, my name is Commodore Matthew C. Perry. Oh. Ain't never going to be a more important Perry than me. <laughs> um, So Matt Perry <laughs> is sitting there. Uh, and the Japanese government now goes back and mm-hmm. they start having, they're talking, the shogunate is trying to figure out what to do. And the government at this point is paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, because the current shogun is incredibly ill. Oh, no. He is very, very sick. And nobody can make a fucking decision. And this is an unprecedented threat mm-hmm. in the history of their nation. Yep. No one alive knows how to deal with this. Yeah. Because it's and been so long. It's been so Generations. long. So finally, a high-level official, they, they have a discussion. Finally, one of them just says, listen, accepting a letter is not, that can't be destruction of our sovereignty. Mm-hmm. He's going to show up. He's going to give us a letter. He's going to fucking leave. And we can figure out what to do then. Okay? Yeah. So that's what they finally agree. Perry's ships were given a beach to land on. Mm-hmm. And on July 14th, remember, he rolled up on the 8th. Yeah. So this is sixteen six days later. Uh, he's given a beach. Perry went ashore, and he does this with like insane pomp. Of course, he's got every piece of gold on. Mm-hmm. He's got every epaulet. Mm-hmm. Every button is polished. Yeah, he's got two hundred and fifty sailors and marines on fifteen longboats that take forever to land. Yeah. He has a 13-gun salute as he leaves the Susquehanna. Oh, my God. He uh, he has them play. They present arms, and a band plays Hail Columbia. 
Now, Hail Columbia, actually, I had to look this up. That at one point was the unofficial American national anthem. Okay. Uh, it is now, cons- Hail Columbia is the vice president's theme. Oh. So you know how we like, Hail to the chief, chief of Hail. Yeah. That song. Hail Columbia has a similar beat to mm. it, but this was like really an 1840s, like this is America, rah, rah type of song. Got it. Um, Matthew Perry presented two letters mm-hmm. uh, inside of boxes. All right. One of which he wrote himself. Okay. Because he was like, you have to receive my letter too, bitch. I'm the Commodore. Damn. And the other one was President Fillmore's letter. Mm -hmm. And this was something I found very interesting that I was reading in this one book. Perry had them presented by uh, two uh, black members of his crew. Okay. And this was the first time Japanese people had ever seen a black person. Oh, okay. So they've already, they've seen whites before. They've seen Europeans before. Yeah. Because of the Dutch. Yeah. They had never seen a black person. So legit, you have this, this guy rolls up, he shoots 73 cannons, yeah. refuses to talk to you, yeah. demands to speak to the fucking emperor. Mm-hmm. You finally give him a beach and he shows up with 250 white dudes and two of the blackest people you've ever seen in your entire life. And they're like, we don't know what the fuck. And what, they're, each of them's holding a box with each a letter. Each of them holding it. a box with a letter like in it. Like it's like RuPaul's Drag Race and they have like the little boxes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. With, with the velvet crush and yeah. everything. So he presents the letters. Now, here's the thing. I went back and forth. I couldn't find the exact letter itself. I also didn't look that hard, but mm. I, I, I read some like highlights from it. And one thing they talk about is how Perry's doing all this shit. Meanwhile, President Fillmore's letter is like, hey, y'all, welcome to the, the world of nations. And uh, gee willikers, uh, America just ain't like that. We ain't like all these other people. We ain't trying to, we ain't trying to make you a colony or nothing. Yeah. We just want y'all to stop. Hurting our sailors whenever they happen to, you know, crash Fall land. Fall over here trying to kill whales. And listen, we, we just all just, gee, it would be just so not. And so meanwhile, they're reading this like, what the absolute fuck is going on? <laughs> because it's just, they're being good cop, bad copped. But the good cop is a letter. <laughs> so they're freaking out, right? Um, yeah. So then they, they... They receive the letters, and he and his squad are like, thank you. And they get in. A few days later, Perry leaves, and he states before he leaves, I'll be back in one year for your reply. But he says it like that, like a psycho. Yeah. So he leaves. Now, problem. Okay. A couple days after Matt Perry leaves, mm-hmm. the Shogun dies. Oh, shit. So there's like no real government. <laughs> like immediately, they're like, ah! Ah! So the Shogun's dead. Um, and he he's replaced by his son, who is sickly. It's it's noted that he's sickly. Yeah. Also, probably not the best leader. Yeah. So in reality, a government was being run by a council of elders, and the council themselves are having internal votes, and no one can agree what to do next. Mm-hmm. No one can agree. The only thing they finally kind of agree on, they're like, I guess we should build up some coastal defenses. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, because for when Matt comes back. Yeah, because when Matt Perry shows up, he's gonna blow us the fuck up. Yeah. Because they're looking around. Again, they have like, the Japanese did have cannons. Mm-hmm. Their cannons were old. They're from the 1600s. Yeah. They're smoothbore rifles instead of rifled. Uh, smoothbore uh, muskets instead of rifles. So they don't have the range. So like Matt Perry could sit, you know, extra meters out yeah. and just demolish them. And every shot they would take would go bloop, right into yeah. the water. So he could just just know he's the equivalent of having a drone strike right yeah. there. He has it in his power. So they're just like, we're fucked. And yeah. they're sitting around and they're like, well, we have a year and they're trying to come up with different things. Meanwhile, other of the Western powers and Europeans heard about what USA did with our little freedom spreading. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, bitch, what? 
are you talking about? You we have been trying to crack this nut for centuries. Yeah. And you all show up and you just think it's over? Uh-uh. Yeah. So the Russians, the French, and the English oh, no. started to negotiate a deal with each other. Mm-hmm. And the deal was that they were going to try to box America out of any future Japanese trade deals by rolling in and pulling a parry before he could return. Okay. So Matt Pe- Perry hears about this. Oh, shit. And Commodore Perry returns to uh, <laughs> Tokyo five months early. <laughs> I like that in theory, because in my mind, the, they're, they're just like, oh, their calendars are different than ours. <laughs> Yeah. This <laughs> is like, oh, he said a year. I guess that's five months where he comes from. Well, that's the thing. Is actually the Russians were using a different calendar at this time. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so there's the there's different calendars. You have the yeah. Julian calendar, which was created by Julius Caesar. And then later you have the Gregorian calendar, which adjusts things. And then we've had another adjustment since then. Um, so, like, the Russians actually were off by dates. Yeah. So sometimes when you go and you read about specific people throughout Russian history especially, their birth date, they will list two birth dates. One of what their birthday was under the old Russian calendar before the conversion and what happened for the rest of the fucking world. Okay. Um, so, yes, their calendars were different. You just joked your way right <laughs> into an actual true statement. Um, Perry returns on February 13th, 1854. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shows up in Tokyo Bay with eight ships and 1,600 men. Okay. Uh, he declares that he wants an answer immediately. Yep. Or he will come back with a hundred ships mm-hmm. and like thousands and thousands of men all right. and uh, all this different like crazy stuff. Meanwhile, those eight ships and sixteen hundred men he have—that's a quarter of the United States Navy. <laughs> that's a quarter of the entire Navy we had at the time. Yeah, and he's just like, I'll come back with more. Fuck you! And they're like, Okay, dude. Uh, the government by the side while he was going, they're like, We're gonna just give in to everything. Like we can't. Yeah, we can't fucking win. You, okay, you're gonna wreck our shit. And so, like, everyone's ready to negotiate. <laughs> but he's acting like they're not gonna. He's acting like they're not gonna because they can't agree on where to have the negotiation. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, by the way, just to let you know, like, the Japanese aren't just taking this lying down. They also are doing some things, as I was reading, they will build uh, places where they hold the negotiations. Mm-hmm. And they have traps set up in these. Ooh. And, like, secret compartments with swordsmen Yep. Who, like, if they think it's going badly, can jump out in a suicide attack. Like, okay. it's, they have, they're ready for these type of things. And while every negotiation is happening, even when he rolled up on that beach, everyone is sitting there. Matt Perry is doing this. He's not like, they're not going to fire on me. Yeah. He's expecting them to fire. Yeah. And they're expecting him to fire. Everyone is convinced that someone's about to fucking shoot. And so every time no one does, they're like, that was fucking weird. That was crazy. So they go back and forth. Um, and they can't decide where. And oh, sorry, this is when he threatens to bring a hundred ships. Okay, he's like, if if you can't fucking pick a place, because they keep being like, go to Nagasaki, go far away. And he's like, I don't want to go that far. I need to stay I within. Swear to God. I need to stay within. There sh- is an Applebee's right over there. I just gotta go park my boat. We can meet at the fucking Applebee's. Dollaritas, okay? One dollarita. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, what his whole point though is he. He can see the capital. Yeah. And he's like, I, we're going to sign these documents within shelling distance of the fucking capital. Mm-hmm. That's his whole goal. Um, so he, also he threatened to return in 20 days with 100 ships. It was, that again, feels impossible. like something impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible yeah, yeah. It feels like you can't do that. Um, they eventually both 
compromise on the tiny village of Yokohama, which is on the other side of the bay. Okay. You can still see Edo from where it is and all these different things. So a purpose-built hall was erected. And this, again, with the halls, this was another reason why he kept getting mad because he would see them building stuff in different areas because people, they were trying to get a drop on it and be like, Hey, look, all right, where are we going to have it? We're going to, tomorrow, we're going to hold it over there. All right, we'll go ahead and build it over there. Yeah. Because that's where, no, Perry said no. Oh, we tear it down. So he kept being like, you're trying to fuck me. Yeah. Um. So they show up to this tiny village, the purpose-built hall. Perry lands on the 8th of March. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has 500 sailors and Marines mm-hmm. on 27 ships' boats, and he has three bands like, Three marching bands. Okay. I was like, bands. Okay. Yeah. He has them pay the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, right. He's uh, like, he loves the theatrics. Yep. He then presented the Japanese with a series of gifts oh, that right. were present that were given to him by the American uh, government. Okay. Uh, they were given a miniature steam locomotive. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know when you go to, like, like those places that have, like, the tiny little kids uh, steam train? Yeah. It's one of those. Oh, shit. With, like, with track. That's that's kind of an awesome gift. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. And so, like, they set it up. The engineers set it up, and then the Japanese get to ride around this little uh, tiny thing. They're, they're like, like this, this American cool. freedom starting to taste pretty good. He gives them a telegraph apparatus with 15 miles worth of telegraph cable to show them that they can send stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives them various agricultural tools, uh, small arms, so some guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives them 100 gallons of whiskey, uh, clocks, stoves, some books about America, and he also gave them uh, a howitzer. I'm sorry, what's that? It's a big old cannon. Okay, good. Uh, and that was that, and the weapons were given to the U.S. government on behalf of the arms manufacturers to be presented, hoping that the Japanese would then buy it. This is a trade deal, baby. This is a trade oh, deal. Oh my god! This is this is how it's always worked, y'all. I can't even. This is how it's always worked, y'all. I didn't y'all. think we were gonna just go right to arms dealers. He showed it's up. Always been arms dealers. He showed up and he was like, "I will blow up your entire fucking nation if you don't start shopping you at better, Lockheed Martin. You, you better crazies. fucking buy from Raytheon right the fuck now. Oh my god! Or else we will blow you up. And the only way to stop us is to buy our guns. Oh my god." Be an equal you threat to us. You need to protect yourselves from us. The Japanese responded by giving gold lacquered furniture, uh, mm-hmm, bronze mm-hmm. ornaments, okay. silks, okay. Uh, porcelain goblets. And they also gave uh, Commodore Matthew uh, C. Perry mm-hmm. uh, received a collection of, sea- of seashells. All right. Because he's super into those. Oh. That's like his thing. He loves seashells? Yeah. This feels like a, like a It feels weird, but no, it, it legit was. <laughs> it's oh. like... Uh, they then held uh, cultural displays, so the mm-hmm. Japanese did some plays. You're just and describing songs. the World's Fair. Yeah, no, 100. percent Yeah. So they're doing stuff back and forth. Um, so the Japanese, you know, they do they do some sumo wrestling. Uh, they do feats of strength. Uh, they do some really cool stuff. Uh, the Americans uh, did a minstrel show. Oh no! Oh no! Yep. Oh, shit. Full-on minstrel show. I was so happy with the train. You lulled me into a sense of peace with the train. Yep. And I was like, yeah, arms dealers, that's right. That's America. But then I was like, fuck, there's America right there. Yep. So the negotiations went on for days, Mm -hmm. uh, like multiple, multiple days. Yeah, sure. And in fact, if you go look up a picture of Matthew C. Perry, uh, Commodore Perry, Mm -hmm. you'll Mm -hmm. see he's like a bigger guy. Uh, But if you look up Japanese pictures of him at the time, he looks like a literal demon sitting upon a throne. (laughs) Uh, And also, to be clear, he is a drunk. 
Yeah. He is hammered yeah. this entire time. He's like, I brought this whiskey for everything, you. Everything everything that we described He's in his like, plan. Who put my whiskey off the boat? That was my whiskey. Yeah, no, it's totally for you guys. Yeah, but just think about this. Though. All of his plans, these are the plans of a crazy person. Yeah. These are crazy person's <laughs> hammered plans. And apparently, yeah. one of his favorite things was he liked to yell the Dutch word for freedom. Like a lot. Oh, he would just, because he loved Dutch. So he'd scream this a lot. Um, so this came up often. Braveheart style. Yeah, just freedom! And they were like, what oh, the fuck? fuck yes, <laughs> because dude. he was just so, he was so bought into 1800s American fucking oh propaganda. Um, on March 31st, 1854, the convention of Kanagawa was sound by the Tokugawa shogunate and Commodore Matthew C. Parody. Uh, it opened the ports of Shimoda and Hakodate mm-hmm. uh, to American ships. Uh, and it provided for the care of shipwrecked sailors and the establishment of an American consulate. Okay. So they officially opened everything. Uh, also, the Japanese were like, we'll stop killing Christians. Mm. Uh, also, just real quick about the Japanese Christian things is is you can see, especially when you see a lot of stuff in the Edo period, uh, you'll see like little Buddhas. Yeah. And if you look at the back of them, they'll have crosses on them. So they hid the iconography a lot of places. So like there still were Christians around. Hmm. But again, like... The Bible had been translated, but not really, because, again, it had to be through a Catholic priest. So there's a whole deal. Um, All right. So this opens up Japan. Perry and, then... And re- then France and England and Russia are, like... like, like They're like little bitches about it. Yeah, but, yeah, they, they eventually... It's, it's beginning to open up to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Perry returns to the United States in 1855. Congress voted to grant him a reward. Okay. He did such a good job, they gave him $20,000. Do we know how much that is today? Yes, today that would be $737,000. Fuck yeah, all right. Uh, that's an appreciation for his work in Japan. He used part of this money to prepare and publish a report on the expedition mm-hmm. in the, that was three volumes and it's titled the narrative of the expedition of an american squadron to the china seas and japan thrilling title oh wow what a title uh perry supervised the ghostwriter so he basically oh, just got hammered and told this guy and the guy's like fuck okay I just wrote it down he just he just drunkenly told war stories at a yeah. bar while he made someone write it down and yeah. then it was like no the title should be uh he he died. Perry died a couple years later on mm-hmm. December twenty eighth, eighteen fifty seven, of cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah, yeah that's not. Other no things doubt. said he said illness, but it's, it's cirrhosis it's, of the river. No, uh, he was a known alcoholic. He and his wife Jane Perry were oh, he married. Was married. Yep, they okay. were married for forty three years and had ten kids. I don't know when. Whoa, shit! Dude, yeah, 10? I don't know. I don't know when he was running around everywhere. You said he was all over the place. He's in the Caribbean. He was never home. He was metro. I don't know if she was allowed to go with. I didn't. There wasn't much about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. you know, mostly I was, this slowly turned into something more about Perry, but it was really, I was focusing more on the Japanese side. Yeah. So some things that happened after this. Okay. After Japan has opened up. One is, uh, this creates the term gunboat diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously. And that's the idea of you show up with all your fucking weapons and being like, let's talk now. Yeah. You're like, I can fucking level you. Yeah. That's the idea of gunboat uh, diplomacy, and it was a shock to both the Japanese government and to the national consciousness of Japan. Yeah. Japan was considered sacred, holy land, and barbarians, that's what the Japanese basically called that, all Westerners, barbarians showed up, threatened to destroy everything, called them all effeminate, and then left. <laughs> so... The Japanese then sent out embassies of their own people to see the wider world because now they're like, we need to know what the fuck is out there. Yeah. 
You need to know what you're up against. Yeah. So people started traveling around the world. Uh, a bunch of Japanese members went to uh, America and saw that. And they were like, you know, the Americans are thinking they want to see the technology. They want all these different things. And mm-hmm. at one point, they're showing this one place to these Japanese guys. And the guys are like, all right, we've seen turbines before. What the fuck is freedom? Like, because the oh, Matt Perry my. wouldn't shut the fuck up about freedom. They they didn't have a concept for it yeah. the way we have it at and that then, time. And then at that time, like looking around that America and being like, yeah, this is freedom. They're like, I don't know. I don't guys. know. dude. Everyone's covered in literal human shit. I also um, there's a few times where you said Matt Perry and I kept picturing Matt Berry. Oh, so now I'm also hearing freedom in Matt Berry's voice. <laughs> Acid jazz. Um, The other thing that happened during this is this is the reason uh, the Americans and who they brought with them Mm -hmm. is the reason why the Japanese still censor genitalia in uh, videos and porn. Okay. So before this, the Japanese did not care. They, they were, they were not openly sexual with each other Mm -hmm. in that way. But also, like, nudity wasn't weird. Yeah. People were naked all the time in Japan. You mm-hmm. could just be naked. It's not cold. You wore clothes because it was cold. Yeah. Not because you were ashamed of your body. But the Americans were so weirded out by this. Mm-hmm. And we were so weird because we were in the middle of the Victorian age. Yep. That it, it became imbued in Japanese culture. Which is why they added in like censorship and the pixelation, all this different stuff over time that has stayed until today. The other thing that happened is the Japanese looked around and they realized that like things aren't going well here. And Mm -hmm. the shogun's a big problem, part of that. And so eventually the shogunate was toppled. Yep. And the emperor was brought back to full power Mm -hmm. in a thing called the Meiji Restoration. And then after that, he looked around and realized, hey, Technically speaking, like, yeah, for all of our islands, this is an empire. But, like, everyone else's empire is a lot bigger than ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, unless you have a big empire, you're a part of someone else's. As he looks at China and India Mm -hmm. and all the other Philippines and everywhere else. So the Japanese then got into the super fun idea that if you don't want to be a colony, then you need to be an empire. And started military expansion. (sighs) See, Pretty when rapidly. The, when the colonizer energy is brought in, yep. it's, uh, it, I don't, what's like, it's not addictive. It's, um, like you can catch it like a disease. Yeah, I know what you mean. What's yeah, the it's word? contagious. Contagious. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. Well, okay, and, great. And the big thing is that, you know, this is what, this leads directly to World War II. Yeah. Because of the spread and the need, the Japanese uh, at World War One, they're there during the armistice mm-hmm. for World War One. They're there for the treaty uh, treaties that happened. They're signatories on it. They are there, part of the League of Nations. The Japanese are treated as like one A whites. Okay, where they're like, yeah, they're like, they're like our equals. To like all the European and Americans okay. and white run nations, they're just there. Mm-hmm. But it's it was in this weird way of like the way the racists back then viewed it is like yeah they're mirroring us. Oh God, okay. So it's it, it's becomes there's weirdness there yeah. of how that spreads over time. But like and that's the way like why our propaganda looks so crazy mm-hmm. during World War Two when again the Japanese are doing massive atrocities mm-hmm. and the United States 
are doing them the same because that's all of human history, baby. It's just atrocities. Oh, God. It's just atrocities and cults. Yeah. And religions. Yeah. Oh, man, what a good time. That's the reopening of Japan. Listen, I learned so much. Number one, I never knew it was closed. Yeah. A I lot of people knew. didn't. I didn't know it was closed. Um, I'm incredibly shocked at how they got it open. Um, Here's the thing. If it wasn't, if it wasn't Matt Perry, it would have been somebody else. It was, yeah. it was right around the time it was due. Mm-hmm. And actually the Americans at that time, because we conquered the Philippines later mm-hmm. after the Spanish American war and Puerto Rico and a bunch of other stuff, we stopped making new States and start make getting, collecting territories. Mm-hmm. That comes a few after the civil war. Yeah. So like, it could not have been better timing for the Japanese to not be immediately conquered. Yeah. Like in this weird way of like the timing when you're looking at world history, like it doesn't end up well for anyone, Yeah, you know, because this moment leads directly to eventually the nuclear bombs being dropped and all this other shit that happens over time. Mm -hmm. But like, that's that butterfly effect. Yeah. But like, if it had been, if it had been the, the English, Oh God, it would have been over. God. Um, they would have done it for strategic tea purposes. Yeah, exactly. It's always yeah. tea purposes. We were we were looking for people to sell to. Yeah, we were like, <laughs> what about like, buying guns? Yeah, the English are like, what? What um? What, what kind nat- of tea you got over there? What, uh, what natural resources you got? Mm. See, now we're now we're into the natural resources. Yeah, game. we're oil. But we want oil. We want uh, the minerals. Yeah, big on the mineral rights. We're trying to get to min- water rights. We're water rights. Some of those. Give me that water rights, baby. But back then it was just like, have you considered buying guns? Hey, listen, we have so many of them. We, we are trying to. The like, day we run out of people who buys our guns, it's going to be bad for our schools. We just gotta find some. Whoa! Holy shit, babe. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to hit this button and that's a no nazi look at that we did it yeah there was still weirdly 1800s racism in there there's a lot of racism a lot of racism and the way perry wrote about the japanese really fucked up i can't imagine it was good yeah i uh i i you know i didn't read it directly because again i couldn't find a lot of because you don't know how to read dutch (laughs) Facts. (laughs) facts anything else for you today no everybody have a great week have a great week. Uh, enjoy yeah. the crisp weather. Yeah. Enjoy the crunchy leaves. And realize this. If your boss doesn't want to give you a raise, mm-hmm. get a gun boat. No, Alex. Park it in the bay. Jesus Christ. Fire 73 blanks. Stop it. Matt Perry, y'all.